Welcome to the Carl Bart Podcast. I am your host, Corey Tuttle. And my guest today is Dr. Ben Rhodes. Dr. Rhodes holds a PhD from the University of Aberdeen, and he is the co-editor alongside Dr. Martin Westerholm of Freedom Under the Word, Karl Barth's Theological Exegesis. Dr. Rhodes, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for the invitation, Corey. Yeah, I'm always glad to speak to another uh, Aberdeen PhD. Well, how did that how did that journey start for you uh, coming over to study? Yeah, at Aberdeen. Uh, uh, so I'll give you a short version. Um, so I, <clears throat> my undergrad is in philosophy, and um, when I graduated, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. So I worked and paid off my student loan debt while I followed the advice of a former professor who said, "You should figure out what you actually want to read when you're not structured and you know told to what to read." It could be that you just want to watch The Simpsons, or it could be that you find yourself reading things, in which case maybe you could consider pursuing a graduate degree, but you should see how you do in an unstructured environment. Um, and so I had been, I, I went to Biola University and I did a year in Oxford, and I'd really kind of um, been thinking through, you know, what I want to do next. I decided I don't want to be a lawyer. And I kept being drawn um, to reading theology. And that was not necessarily my experience uh, as an undergrad. I was a snob, I still am. Uh, and so I thought the philosophy was where the action was at, particularly a place like Biola. Um, but I, when I was at Oxford, I, I was taking a philosophy religion tutorial and I encountered Bart in, in the Brunner dialogue, which dialogue is probably a generous description of them yelling at each other. Um, and I thought, I am not interested in this at all. Like, I'm on Brunner's side. Art, Art seems kind of a jerk. Uh, and then a couple of years later, uh, I was, there was an independent study that a friend of mine was doing with a couple of people. Uh, and Fred Sanders was running that. And they were reading 4-1, uh, the Church Dogmatics. And I kind of did it just as a favor. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll sit and read with you guys because why not? Um, but I found it was really interesting. And I found myself coming back to BART. And I'd been thinking about kind of two big questions. First is, what, what does it mean to study theology as a, uh, I don't love the term conservative versus liberal and the term evangelical nowadays. I'm not sure what it means. But at that time, I was from, coming from a more conservative evangelical background. Saying, what does it mean to read scripture? And what does it mean to do theology? And I just kept, being drawn back to reading theology, <clears throat> especially Bart. Uh, and then, and Fred had recommended to me uh, a book by a man named John Webster. The uh, book was called Holiness. And I got around to it eventually. Sorry, Holy Scripture, not Holiness. Uh, and so I finally got around to it and I read it through in almost one day while I was working, which, if you've ever read John, is quite dense. And so it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, unusual to have that level of engagement. And I finished the book and there was a description. He has this um, sort of a sketch or a, a self-consciously utopian view of a theological school, what it means, what it means to study scripture, what it means to be doing theology. And I, I read the book and I closed it and I thought, well, that's where I want to go. And then I found out John was at Aberdeen. And so I talked to Fred and Fred said, well, I just finished writing something for John. Let me make an introduction. Uh, John was very gracious, and so a buddy of mine and I flew over to Scotland. Uh, 
Yemi's Matan, talked with him. Uh, I, at that point, figured out that John was probably one of the top two or three Bart scholars uh, in the world, but certainly the English-speaking world, maybe in the world at all um, at the time. And they were just starting a top master's program. And I thought, I don't want to be the guinea pig. I'm going to let them do a year uh, and then come back. And I did so. So I did the MTH in 2008, 2009, and then the PhD from uh, 20, 2009 to 2012. And I loved it, had a great time. Aberdeen was an amazing research community, a group of largely North American uh, folks just really enjoyed the environment and, and studying BART. Um, so the way John put it is, it's a PhD is kind of like apprenticeship. So you're gonna go learn uh, as much as you can about the tradition by doing, and you're gonna produce something with your PhD. And that's kind of your guild card. That's then you go in and uh, into that process and uh, you're, you're part of the guild. So he didn't think much about, didn't love comparative projects like person X and person Y. How do they agree? How do they disagree? Um, his thought was if, if you're going to really invest in somebody, somebody that has enough um, dogmatic weight and significant enough corpus that you really sink your teeth into it. And for John at that point, it was Bart or Aquinas. Um, those are the two people that really worth you know, investing in. Um, and I was interested in Bart, not Thomas. So I did a started project on Bart on the Holy Spirit, um, which I finished in 2012. And along the way, I really kind of kept coming back to questions about what is Bart's, Bart's doctrine of scripture and his practice? How did he engage scripture exegetically? Um, and so sh shortly after I, I think this is I think we did this time in 2013. Um, so I graduated, I completed the, the doctorate, and I went to work um, at a parachurch ministry called Johnny and Friends, so working with people with disabilities. Uh, Johnny Erickson taught us how to that, which was a diving accident, 17, and it's really had a ministry to people uh, with disabilities from a church perspective. What's the sense of suffering? What's the purpose of that? How do you think about or discern God's providence in your life uh, when it seems like everything's going wrong? And so I, I joined um, to lead the theological education and training internationally uh, right out of Aberdeen. And so I kind of had a foot in both worlds, the kind of alt-academic space uh, and also like, how are you talking through um, scriptural truths to Bible-believing Christians around the world um, where you can't kind of show your work, right? You're, you may have these doctrines operating in the background, but... <clears throat> You're, you're really trying to, what's, what, what does it need to proclaim uh, God's word here now? Um, from folks who just think I can read my Bible and it's going to be clear. And that's not, I think, radically dissimilar from uh, Bart's more pietistic upbringing that he had some pretty strong reactions to. So uh, at the same time, as we we're training on, you know, what does is, what is the word of God say about suffering, about the significance of that, about um the shape of suffering in the Christian life and sanctification. Um, I was also a member of the Evangelical Theological Society, and I started a couple of, they called them study groups, kind of, let's try a pilot thing and see if it catches on. Mm -hmm. One of them was Trinitarian Theology with a friend of mine, Josh Malone, and the other was a Theology of Bart, <clears throat> which was... Uh, um, I expected more resistance. People were kind of like, hey, you know, try it. Why not? 
um, it was a small group. We had maybe 10 or 15 people who consistently came. And then we'd have some people come in that we'd, we'd feature an outside speaker. Those who had maybe a little higher profile. They happened to be down the road and we convinced them to come. No, you don't have to sign the doctrinal statement. Just show up. We get one for free. <laughs> um, and so we deci- I decided what would be more interesting is if we focused, um, because evangelicals, in my experience, were often very suspicious because they had a kind of received knowledge of um, a caricature of Bart on scripture that made them very leery. So Bart says that the Bible's full of errors and, you know, there's this sort of actualistic thing that's happening. We don't understand it's magical. Um, and that's a, that's a legacy. Uh, if you look back at some of the perception of Bart in the English speaking uh, world, particularly in North America, which is circling around Fuller. Um, and it is just kind of a, it's not worth getting into. It was kind of an adventure in missed, um, missing the book, I think. But that has left a legacy for evangelicals where Bart is this kind of figure of suspicion. Um, so we started in 2013 and ran for a couple of years on Bart's use of scripture. So I gave uh, a talk in 2013 that is the origin of the essay uh, on Bart's doctrine of scripture uh, that kind of set up for a follow-up series of, of presentations on, instead of talking about the kind of theoretical machinery, what if we just say, what does Bart do? Bart's a preacher. So let's look at him on, you know, Ephesians or Genesis, or let's look at what he does with particular passages, which I find to be much more salutary and frankly interesting, um, particularly as an evangelical or somebody who grew up in an evangelical context, who's saying, so what, what does it really mean to wrestle with scripture as authoritative? Mm-hmm. Um, so this, the, the book is a combination of two conferences. One is the series of three years worth of Evangelical Theological Society, but with the Bart's practice, his actual exegetical practice. And then uh, Martin helped host a conference in, I can't remember, it's in the forward, 15, I think, in St. Andrews, when John had moved to St. Andrews, uh, and Martin was doing his postdoc there uh, on, on Bart and Scripture. And so we um, combined those essays course any other collection you have some drop out and some that you add in to fill out uh, and it was a it was a saga but we got uh, Baker to publish it and despite the fact that there were a couple other selections of um, art on scripture that came out around the same time Dave Nelson took a took a risk on us and um, I think it's been helpful for some people at least yeah it's been uh, it's been extremely helpful and orienting um, for me, being rather new to Bart, to sort of um, have all of these uh, short snippets, like they're just shorter, shorter papers, all these different uh, views and kind of outworkings of his uh, theological exegesis. Yeah, I, I found it really great because there was, uh, you know, papers like yours that sort of go through, here's dogmatically w- w- what's happening here, w- what he's doing and why he's doing it and how he comes to these conclusions. Uh, and I was just telling you before we started, like uh, reading Grant McCaskill's uh, paper on like, here is, I guess, a range of interpretations of these passages. And here are the camps, theological camps that would interpret it this way or this way or this way. So here is where Bart is breaking away from them, trying and, and heading a new direction. Um, yeah, I, it was uh, it's pretty I don't know. It was exciting as I was reading it. It was like things were starting to click. Um, so thank you for putting it together. Did you just 
call up everyone who wrote these papers and say, hey, can we throw this in a book and then call a publisher? How does that work? Do you like code yeah. go first to the publisher and then say, oh, I know some people who wrote some things. Let's see if we can grab, grab that them. Is a great, that is a great question. Uh, there is a long and a short answer. The, the short answer is that every book is kind of different. Uh, the slightly longer answer with this one is we, I, had, uh, I had the idea that we would be looking to publish when we started the project. Uh, that's kind of how we got people to contribute as our presentation conference papers. Right, hey, this is part of a larger project. People are much more willing um, to contribute their time if they think they might eventually get published. Yeah. Not surprising too. Um, and we had a couple of possibilities that didn't end up working out. And then I had uh, Martin, I ran into him at AR and he's like, hey, uh, we got a bunch of this. I hear you're running this project. Why don't we think about combining forces? And we had talked to TNT and uh, somebody, I forget the other publisher. Uh, and then I sat down with Dave uh, over a glass of scotch. And at the end, he agreed. <laughs> is, the short, is the short answer. Awesome. Um, and then he, we eventually convinced him because he'd been doing some work on Hebrews to contribute an essay, which is not normal because normally the you know editor that brings the acquisitions in is not somebody that contributes, but Dave's a special person and he had a, it, I mean the essay was phenomenal and we didn't have much on Hebrews so we kind of arm wrestled him in and he talked to uh, the folks at Baker and they're like yeah it's okay it's not a conflict it's a small <laughs> it's a small world awesome well you did mention that uh, you're not only the co-editor of the volume but you also wrote uh, one of the essays in the book. I'd like to talk about uh, your essay for cool. a little bit. Uh, first, how how did that the topic come up for you? Um, you, you said that it, it was a paper at one point. What what sort of uh, was the inspiration behind the paper? What, when did that idea come? Yeah, so I mean, as I mentioned, it's something I've been thinking about, particularly because the evangelical reception of Bart has been characterized by a negative experience or impression, which I think mm -hmm. is based on a caricature. Bart's doctrine of scripture. And so that's something I've been thinking about really since I started reading Bart. And I, uh, at one point, kind of went down. Um, most of these books are no longer in print, but in like the 70s and 80s, around the time of a, you uh, could call it a storm in a teacup or um, a really pretty divisive uh, debate about inerrancy and infallibility uh, within the conservative evangelical world mm -hmm. that was largely configured, um, one poll was configured as a response to a certain understanding of Bart's quote unquote actualistic, though I can call it at that at the time, um, construal of scripture where the thought was, or the interpretation was, Bart says it's okay to have, it's okay if scripture has errors errors of fact, errors of, and then it gets more confusing. Is it an error of doctrine? Is it just whatever? It's an error, and so clearly it's incompatible with inerrancy. And so that's a problem. Um, and there's a school of, of folks um, who were at Fuller that kind of got tagged with the Bart brush, and it's this not a really edifying series of debates to read about, um, but I had experienced that, and I thought, this doesn't really match my experience of reading Bart. Um, and so I wonder why it is that there's such a misunderstanding. Some of it's because the first interpreters of Bart, the few people who could read 
German because Vladimir wasn't translated into English and most evangelicals didn't have German. Um, a couple early interpreters kind of shaped that. But let's not talk about that, that's boring. Uh, what's more interesting is what Bart's actually doing with scripture. And so in the back of my mind for a couple of years during my PhD, it was, I really think there's an opportunity to talk about Bart's uh, doctrine of scripture in a way that foregrounds his practice and doesn't get caught up in some of the more quote unquote theoretical mm -hmm. uh, dogmatic moves. But you have to make some things clear about what does Bart actually say dogmatically. And so um, I did, I was doing some research. It was primarily on uh, Bart's understanding of the spirit because that was my focal point. But his understanding of the spirit really influences a lot of things, one of which is his doctrine of scripture. So uh, I formally put it together for that series of, um, to kick off those series of conference papers, but it's something that had been kind of gestating and sticking around for a while. I have a much longer version of it that I cut down for the conference paper. Um, so the argument's pretty straightforward, honestly. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, so Bart has a doctrine of scripture. His doctrine of scripture does not actually, I think, do much um, because Bart was a preacher. And so Bart, the way he wrestles with scripture and his dogmatics and the rest of his theology is actually much more interesting and doesn't seem particularly determined by his doctrinal statements about scripture. So his practice is more interesting. So the essay is kind of deflationary. So let's talk about what he says doctrinally in the most um, elaborate portion, which is Church Dogmatics 1-2. But it turns out if you look at what he says in 1-2, it's very similar to two or three earlier versions uh, in that were either not published or scrapped. So the first version, uh, Christian Dogmatics, which he did one volume of and he scrapped, and then uh, what's been published in part as a Gerdingen Dogmatics back in the early 20s. And it turns out his doctrinal moves, or his dogmatic moves, are just lifted straight from Heinrich Heppe. Uh, so Heppe has a, a sort of compendium of the reformed scholastics, um, and if you're not familiar, so there's all kinds of discussion. They've died down a little bit now, but when I was writing a sort of big um, set of conversations in Bart's scholarship were around Bart's doctrine of election. And there's a whole set of um, developmental discussions go back to Bruce McCormick and some earlier German work. Um, so I was kind of in that mode of like, oh, hey, let's go back. Let's see where Bart is making these early decisions. Um, and he's under massive pressure, right? So he's a, he's a preacher for 10 years in Sophonville. Um, he's a bit of a bit of an odd fellow. They, uh, is much more conservative, and he's kind of this liberal, progressive preacher. And then um, he publishes the Romans commentary, the first one, uh, and that kind of kicks him up, and then the second one really catapults him into an academic career. Uh, and Bart's pretty uh, honest about the fact that he, he comes not particularly well equipped, and so he's wrestling with, he's wrestling with Calvin, he's trying to figure out what the Protestant scholastics are about. Um, and so there's all these discussions about, you know, when did Bart read this person, when did he figure out that? Uh, I'll spare you the developmental details, but the upshot is, um, I think he was looking for, how do I talk about scripture? His primary mode of interest is not um, a doctrine of scripture at this point. The larger context is how do we talk about, what do we, it doesn't mean we say God is. 
the, the majesty, the freedom, the power, the authority of God. And scripture is part of that, but he's coming to it from a preaching perspective and he's trying to assemble some scaffolding around that uh, core conviction. And so if you look at the developmental pieces, um, he basically takes over a distinction from Hepa about um, what Hepa thinks is the difference between the word of God um, in an active sense, whatever that is, and uh, a kind of static sense, because Bart's really concerned about the notion that a predicate like holy could adhere to these particular words that's discoverable by historical investigation or uh, tradition. He wants to preserve the power and authority of God. So if there's this relic sitting around that's called the Bible that is magically different, uh, that seems to constrain God and part doesn't want God to be constrained because God is free. And so he gets, he picks up this distinction from Hepa, and he never really looks at it again. He just sort of adds uh, historical investigations to it. And so the footnotes keep getting longer or the fine print or the small print. Um, but the, the, the main dogmatic moves don't much change. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I, I don't actually think that that's true of the Protestant scholastics. Um, and so I, this is in the footnotes, I think. Um, Hepa is just not right. It, it, it's a standard critique in historical theology that Hepa was moving fast and breaking things. Um, and you can look at uh, Richard Muller's work as I sort of think Muller has just been so frustrated by Hepa and his reception that he sort of wrote like four volumes. And this is what the Protestant scholastics were actually on about. And Muller's got great stuff. Um, so What's the, what's the sort of, if I have to put my thumb on, what's the problem? I think that um, because he over relied on Hepa, Art just misread Calvin. Calvin doesn't make a distinction between the, um, the words of God and the word of God that somehow the Holy Spirit magically, you know, supercharges into an event and they become authoritative. Um, Calvin is saying there's, it's the same spirit that inspires as illumines but those two works are different. So it's not that the Bible becomes the word of God when the Holy Spirit um, has a internal testimony because that, that way um, rampant enthusiasm or fanaticism lies, thanks Calvin. It's just, it's that the same spirit has two different works. And so we're not becoming apostles when the Holy Spirit speaks to us in illumined scripture because we're not writing new scripture, but there is a difference in our relation but that doesn't mean that the words magically change. Um, so I actually think what Bart's looking for in his practice, which is the burden of the rest of the book to show what Bart's doing when he's actually wrestling with scripture, it's actually better served by the distinction he mistakenly rejected from Calvin, which is the same Holy Spirit that illumined, sorry, that illumines us now is the same Holy Spirit that inspired the prophets and apostles, you know, quote unquote, back then. So you don't have to collapse it into what Bart calls the single circle of inspiration because he's just trying to make inspiration do too much work, I think, dogmatically. Yeah. That's a very long and rambling answer. Is that helpful? <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the bulk of the, of the essay. Um, like I said, I, I got so much from it. I'm wondering, uh, though, for, for people who may just be new to Bart, like myself, um, you, I mean, you, you kind of detail what's going on as, in Church Dogmatics 1-2 as well. I, I haven't personally read uh, Church Dogmatics 1-2, um, 
yet. Um, obviously, uh, <laughs> there's so much. Uh, it'll there's be a years. Lot yeah, there is a lot. Um, I'm on two two right now for a paper that I'm presenting in SST in a few weeks. Um, two two is arguably more interesting. <laughs> it, see, I wouldn't know <laughs> other than your description of of one two um, in the. Uh, in, in the essay, um, I, I haven't touched it at all. So, but I'm wondering for people who uh, haven't read one, two, um, you, you said that he does cover a doctrine of scripture. So I'm wondering if you could just give us a, a sort of a, a brief preview there of what yes. we might be looking at if we open that up. Um, so I'm going to say something that's kind of annoying, uh, but I say in the essay and I believe it, which is summaries of Bart are unbelievably boring. There is no substitute for just picking up and reading some Bart. And some of that's his writing style. Uh, he's got this dialectical style, he's going back and forth. He's considering things from different perspectives. Um, the challenge is that if you're being dialectical, you just keep talking on and on. And so that's part of the challenge, right? Bart's just really long, but there really is no substitute. Um, summary's just, you like, you listen to summary of Bart and you think, why would I, what? Reading it is somehow um, qualitatively different, I think. So a pricey or a summary is not particularly interesting. I will say, I think, uh, as a teaser, as it were, yeah. uh, why is it worth reading? So I think Bart's, particularly one, two, uh, his early church dogmatics, what's interesting, so Bart's trying to do something that's not been done in that era for a long time. Uh, so a prolegomena, right, the first words, how do you justify um, the authority of theology? Like, who says you get to talk about God? Uh, who, who authorized you, right? Uh, and so prolegomena in Bart's day had largely become an exercise in um, what, from a more, like, conservative evangelical perspective, we'd say is an exercise in apologetics, right? And so you can see this in, say, Carl Henry, right, his, um, his work is actually just all about how can we talk about God? It's a doctrine of revelation, and at the root, it's about authority. And that's why the thing is called God, Revelation, and Authority. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Bart says there's no prolegomenal word that's not already involved and necessitated by God's self-revelation. But that means that you can't make any formal statements that establish the authority of theology without just straight talking about God. So you could say there, there's no meaningful distinction between the formal statements and the material statements. So the formal statement would be like, uh, God revealed himself in scripture, we read scripture on the basis of scripture, therefore we say this about God, right? And the rejoinder is, but where do you get that justification, right? Yeah. That's almost by definition, it's circular. And so Bart doesn't avoid the circle, he just says, we just start talking about God because God has disclosed himself to us. So the entire uh, first volume or first two part volumes of the church dogmatics contains in sort of um, compressed form, the entire doctrine of God, doctrine of the Trinity, doctrine of scripture, who Jesus is, work of the Holy Spirit, because Bart, and he tried this three times, but what Bart's trying to say is that a prolegomenal word is already a material word, which is already to say, I have been authorized by God's self-revelation of himself um, to speak about, to follow after God's self-revelation. 
And what's interesting about that um, is it didn't much take. Uh, there's not a lot of people who thought, yeah, that's the right thing um, in theology. But I think that there's something right about that. And I think it's rooted in Bart's conviction, not only as um, his own particular genius, but particularly his uh, upbringing and formation as a preacher, which is there really is no way to justify what we do on a Sunday. We stand up and we open up a book and we say, thus saith the Lord. Like, there's a, that has to be self-involving and it has to be at some level kind of strange. Like there's no external justification for the audacity of that act other than to say God has in some way communicated himself to me and I'm therefore deputized and commanded to go speak about the God who I've encountered. Mm. Uh, and for me, the, the payoff there is to say, and I guess this is sort of the venture of the book, um, what's more interesting is to see what Bart actually does when he's holding up newspaper in one hand, Bible in the other, and saying, what really is going on in this portion of like, you know, Second Samuel? Um, and Bart doesn't, Bart doesn't shy away from the weird parts of scripture. He doesn't shy away from, man, I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a point where he's talking about the witch of Endor, and you think this, I would never have thought you could make, like you could get there. From that story and what he does is just phenomenal because he's not afraid to say um, in other collections right <laughs> bible is a strange new world or in german um even closer to profanity the bible is just weird uh and i think bart helped me rediscover the power of scripture in its uh, authority over against rather than a kind of domesticated I'm accustomed to hearing these stories. I grew up hearing it on a weekly basis and the Bible sort of old hat. Mm-hmm. And Bart, um, I think is able to say, and this is, I think the solitary piece for more conservative, uh, if evangelical is still a word that people use, um, look at what God is saying in the Bible. And it's so different from your conception because God is always bigger than your conception, different other. Mm-hmm. Um, God cannot be domesticated just because we become comfortable. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, so I have I have two questions left for you, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, one is um, you mentioned that there's the, the sort of simplistic two-point evangelical understanding of Bart's doctrine of election, which you go on to, to kind of... Um, really provide a thorough explanation of it in your uh, your essay. I'm wondering if in light of this project that, that you just completed with this Freedom Under the Word, um, has this, have you seen maybe either this or I guess time and influence of other BART scholars? Um, has this doctrine of scripture been, uh, uh, the reception of it been changed? Is it, is it growing or different or is there anything new in that regard? Yeah, so um, I, I will say I, I recently made a career change. I'm no longer a practicing academic. Uh, I work for our local government uh, in an agency that supports older adults and people with disabilities. Um, so I am not as up to speed on all of the ins and outs of BART scholarship. Uh, but what is interesting to me is, so John Webster, I think, was really a person who kind of turned a lot of BART scholarship around, around the same time as Bruce McCormick, but um, for John, it was pay attention to what Bart's actually saying, not these sort of conceptions of what we think Bart said. Mm. Um, 
And he did that by, by talking about, um, so, you know, Bart's, particularly in Bart's ethics, that um, God's freedom and human freedom are not opposed. They're not uh, competitive. And he spent a lot of time showing how this Bart does not have this um, weird view of God, this sort of totalizing totalitarian, which had been uh, kind of the feedback in the ethical uh, moral theology realm. Uh, and I think that there has been a, a similar, not quite as persuasive, but a similar move towards Bart. Um, gosh, instead of talking so much about what Bart said in his doctrine of scripture, what is Bart actually doing with scripture? Yeah. Uh, so Hunsinger put together that word is truth and a couple other collections that I think um, the, the Bart secondary literature had kind of moved towards okay, let's, let's be less um, concerned with the kind of big picture formal moves and more what is going on. And I mean, as somebody put it, like what's, what's happening in the fine print is usually more interesting than the big print. Yeah. Uh, and I think because that's a different type of work uh, that Bart's doing that is more interesting and in some ways slightly more digestible, right? Because it's a different mode of description. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a little less swirly and dialectical. It's a little more direct on let's work through some Latin texts of old theology, or let's work through the Greek of this particular section of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. I don't think I answered your question, but um, no, that, that, that would be my response. That was perfect. Um, I, okay, so I got your last one here. This is more yep. of a fun one. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's mainly a way just to get some book recommendations, but uh, it's a little game of Desert Island. Um, so I'm wondering if you were trapped on a desert island and you're allowed to have one book by Bart, uh, so a primary source. You can't say all of the church dogmatics, but if you have maybe a volume or a half volume in mind, you can take one of those. And one book about Bart, so a secondary source of any kind. Yeah, Which yeah. two books are you taking and why? Uh, so I still think the richest um, material is in Dogmatics 4. I don't know which of the particular volumes I would pick. Maybe 4-2. Maybe or for one, I don't know, it depends on the day. Um, but that's where I think that Bart's true, like, passion comes through, uh, and he just unfolds um, the doctrine of, rec of reconciliation and redemption. Like, what, what is going on in salvation and the majesty and astonishing um, mystery of what, of who Jesus is and what he does for us and how those things are all caught up and um, the scope of redemption is cosmic, even to the point where, you know, people puzzle about what that means for election and predestination. But I think um, the thing that is still interesting about that is uh, Bart's sense of wonder mm. and uh, the powers he brings to describing and unpacking the scope of God's work. So okay. definitely for one of those. Great. What about uh, your secondary source? Gosh. Um, so I find, um, I find secondary sources are only as useful as they shed light on the primary source. And often that means they are not primarily interested in themselves. Um, but when a secondary work is doing, um, is shedding light on, the object, right? So Bart, there's a whole cottage industry of books about Bart. Um, but 
and that was starting to happen uh, in Bart's life. And he didn't think much of it because mm-hmm. why are you talking about me when you could be talking about God? Uh, so I think the good, uh, the good secondary works on Bart have partaken in the ones that I come back to are the ones that partake in the object of Bart's study, which is God, not just let's talk about what Bart said about X, Y, Z. Um, so I think the any of John Webster's work on Bart would fit that category. Um, maybe Bart's earlier moral theology stands out to me um, as, as something that John's working through and really, really like kind of correcting a whole series of uh, secondary misinterpretations about Bart mm-hmm. on particular, uh, particularly with human and divine freedom. Um, but in doing so, I think John did not fall into the trap that many of us have done, which is let's talk about Bart for Bart's own sake. But he says, let's talk about Bart for God's sake, because you're doing constructive theology and trying to understand who God is and how he's working in the world on the basis of his self-revelation in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, as attested in Scripture. That's great. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you again for doing this. Uh, again, I You're love welcome. the book. The, the book is, for, for people listening, is Freedom Under the Word, Karl Barth's Theological Exegesis, co-edited by Ben Rhodes and Martin Westerholm. Um, thank you for your time. I really enjoyed this. You're very welcome. And uh, if you ever get interested in this topic, you should go hunt up Martin Westerholm, who is smarter than I am. <laughs> well, he, he already has an email from me in his inbox if he's listening to this. Because, uh, you should come talk to Corey. <laughs> that would be great. I would love to uh, read and talk to him about The Ordering of the Christian Mind, his, his book that <laughs> it's on my wish list. So the I would se- love the to. The secret is ask him about Augustine, then you'll be okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carl Bart Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review in your podcast app. It will help others find the show. And if you have any feedback or questions, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. The handle is at Bart Podcast. That's all for me now. I'm excited to keep learning with you all. And I appreciate you listening. See you next month.